You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. All right. Uh, We are continuing our series in the parables, and uh, we're looking at the 10 parables that Mark presents. Uh, we, We do a series every year, about seven weeks, and we decided that this year we'd focus on on just the 10 parables that Mark presents and then go into the book of Mark. The, the second half of, or the, the next series will be another seven weeks of looking at the larger narrative of Mark. And we'll already have like the details of the parables, but we can look at the rest of the narrative and, and see what Mark is saying to, to Romans. Now, uh, if there was ever a country like Rome, it'd be ours. It would be the U.S. Uh, we are to the world what Rome was to the world at that time. We are the dominant country. We are the country that drives the conversation. We're the country that people fear. Uh, when problems occur around the world, we step in and we make sure that those problems go away. And um, that's been our role within the within the world for quite some time. And so there's some parallels that we maybe should pay attention to. And uh, we'll talk about those as we uh, go along today. But um, in your bulletin, we have uh, this Pardes tool. It's a, it's a uh, Hebrew teaching tool that rabbis take advantage of. And um, it's, ac- it's actually an acronym of these uh, Four words, Peshat, Ramez, Drash, and Sod. Peshat is at the surface level. Ramez is a, is a hint. Uh, drash means to inquire or seek, and Sod means secret or mystery. So what happens is when Jesus is teaching, the surface level uh, understanding of the parable is important. In fact, everything else that happens uh, from the interpretation standpoint matters or, or depends on that surface level, that basic understanding of reading the parable. But Jesus is also going, also going to hint at something from the Old Testament. It's like when we drop a meme in Facebook and that, that meme is connected to typically like uh, something culturally or, or a movie, uh, which is that meme connects us to a larger conversation. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I dropped a meme earlier this week. I said, I missed it by that much. For those of you that grew up with Get Smart, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it brings, like bringing that into the conversation just adds this color to the conversation. Now, the conversation is still the conversation, right? The Get Smart meme doesn't change, the conver- change it in a totally different direction, but adds to the conversation, adds some color, some flair. And that's what Jesus is doing with his remez, his hint, connecting to the Old Testament. And then we have to go inquire and seek and go, well, what does that mean? Why did Jesus connect that story, his story to this Old Testament story? What is he doing there? I would disagree with 
with Logan, uh, he said last week that he's never had sowed. Uh, I believe that when the Holy Spirit says something to you about a particular passage, that's sowed. It's something, he asked a fantastic question last week. And I think that question was sowed. He asked this question of um, how prepared are you for God to work in your life? I think that question itself was so I think that was a Holy Spirit moment working through Logan. I think the Holy Spirit wants to work through us all. And uh, I love sitting in care group and hearing the Holy Spirit work through each of you. And it doesn't really matter how long you've been opening up your Bible. Uh, we have those moments. But I want to just, uh, we're, we're going to cover two parables this week, but they're connected to last week's parable. So I'm going to give you a a quick review of those parables. So uh, he shared about the parable of the sower. And remember, Logan said that the sower sows. Jesus actually never says the word seed, both in the parable and in the explanation of the parable. He never actually says the word seed. He so, the sower sows. He goes out of his way to not say the word seed. That should fascinate you does me. Um, and so uh, let's go back a couple slides. There we go. So um, the sower sows and the path is the person that doesn't understand what's being sowed. It doesn't understand the word of God. The rock, the rocky soil understands, but has no depth and cannot withstand hardship the thorns, thorny soil, they understand, but cannot let go of their idolatry. And the idolatry gets in the way of them, uh, God working in their life. And then you have the good soil. And the good soil understands and does something with God's word and produces a crop. And again, Logan would ask this question, how prepared are you for God to work in your life? How prepared is your Soil, how prepared, like, is God's word doing something in you? And then Logan presented some Rumez options. He talked about Hosea 10 being connected to the path. How do you break up your ground? How do you prepare your heart for God's word? Start by being generous. Be generous to people. If, you're, if your uh, soil is rocky, he connects that to Isaiah five. And he says, embrace God's law. Go read Isaiah five. And it's going to tell you to embrace God's law. And that's how you deal with the rocks in your life. How do you deal with the thorns in your life? Logan said that's connected to Jeremiah four. And Jeremiah four talks about turning away from idolatry, how idolatry uh, gets in the way over and over and over again. And then again, uh, if you're a good soil, Logan last week said, hey, keep, keep minding your soil. Like just because it's good today doesn't mean that a year from now, six months from now, uh, going out further that, that these things are not going to creep back in the, you know, uh, the hard soil, the, the rocks, the thorns. So, uh, and then there was this uh, parable that, Logan presented about the light under a basket. You, no one puts a light under a basket uh, because you've put it under a basket. That basket 
It's flammable. You can't hide it. It becomes a bigger light. You think you're hiding your light and you're not. You're not. And so, so that was what Logan presented from last week. That's the first half of Mark chapter four. And now we're going to look at the rest of the parables, the final two parables of this chapter and see what these together mean. So Mark four twenty six, and Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. All right. Two things. First of all, Jesus finally says the word seed. Apparently it's in his vocabulary. So that's not a problem. He, and this should catch your attention. Wait a minute. Now of all times, you're going to say the word seed. Uh, the second thing is he says the kingdom of God is like, there's no one parable that's going to tell us everything about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is complex. Life is complex. Our God is complex. And I feel like sometimes in Christianity, we want to really simplify things for people. And maybe we do God and, and what he is doing a disservice when we try to oversimplify things. But he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. So I'm guessing that God is not the sower in this particular case. Because last time I checked, God knows what he's doing. God knows what's going on. The soil produces a crop by itself. It's magic. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, and this is such a strange way of putting this, he immediately puts the sickle because the harvest has come. <clears throat> well, when the cup, when the crop permits uh, in the Greek, it's, it's something like um, when the crop gave itself up, like the crop had, had some kind of role to play. Have you, <laughs> have you noticed your, your crops going, Hey, Sickle me now. Um, that's kind of the imagery that we have here. Kind of a strange way to put that. That should catch our attention. We should go, what in the world is he doing there? And maybe that connects us to our remez. But at the surface level, what we need to understand is that God is the one who causes his kingdom to grow. God is the one who causes his kingdom to grow. You go to sleep. God does not. You don't necessarily understand the how God does. I mean, Logan talked about his, you know, thumbs. Uh, actually, I think he's got a fairly green thumb uh, compared to me. Like I make weeds grow and I hope that uh, the plants that I had last year are still alive today, but how they will be alive. I really truly have no idea. I don't know what they need. I, I, I just cut at them. And if they survive it, you know, fine. I like, I am literally this guy in this parable. I have no idea what's going on here. I go to sleep. I get up. Oh, more weeds. Um, that's my life. God is the one that causes his kingdom to grow. You know, I, 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 I care a lot about God's kingdom. I, I love God's kingdom. I want it to grow. 
I want to grow within my children. And sometimes I just, I'm going, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this conversation my, my sons and my daughters want to have. Uh, I, 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 friends, I've had friends that have prayed for for years. And, and uh, you know, my one friend, Jeff Anderson, I've talked about him a number of times. He was a chief mass sergeant that I served under in the military. And he, he was so hedonistic, I thought there was never, never a chance that he was going to come to Christ. Boy, was I wrong. In fact, my, in fact my, my, my friend, Matt Becker, who I think is an evangelist, he said recently, he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, I pray for people that are rich that they become poor so they could come to Christ because the rich just don't come to Christ. I said, really? Have you, have you ever considered my friend Jeff Anderson? He goes, I told him a story. He's like, you're kidding me. I goes, that doesn't make sense to me. That's because God knows what he's doing. And I don't. I go to bed. He's still up. You know, the, the, the good news is God is always at work in the people that we're praying for and the people that we're hoping for. God is the one who makes his kingdom grow. Now, uh, the, the remez, the hint, uh, there's, there's a passage in Jeremiah 50 where... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, we're not going to read it today because uh, there's a lot to that, to that conversation. It's a big chapter, but, uh, but God is basically saying to uh, the Israelites, Hey, you know what? I'm going to deal with Babylon. I'm going to deal with Babylon. Babylon thinks that they could do whatever they want to do. And, and, and no one's going to hold them accountable. And that's just not true. Uh, that's, that's basically the gist of Jeremiah 50. Uh, it mentions both uh, the sower and the sickle and, and, and the sower. The one, the sower with the sickle is Babylon itself. Really fascinating that Jesus connects these two stories. Here's what I think is going on. There are those who believe they can stop God's kingdom and they're wrong. They think, you know, I'm bigger I'm badder. I'm, you know, you go around the world where God's kingdom is growing the most and it's places where Christianity is illegal. You go to China, you go to the Muslim nations where God's kingdom is growing the fastest. And it's in places that people think they, they can stop God's kingdom. Babylon looked down on the God of Israel. The Romans, oh, by the way, and what's fascinating is both Mark and John seem to connect Rome to Babylon. They, they look down on these backstreet Israelites what do they know? You think you can stop God's kingdom. You're wrong. And so Jesus continues. And he says, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Again, another, another facet, another way of uh, understanding God's kingdom. Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, 
which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Why does God's kingdom grow? Why does it move forward so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade? Remember, this is a series of parables. They're all connected. What was the, uh, what were the birds of the air doing in parable number one? They were stealing. She knows the answer. You get an extra level of Torah. They were stealing what was being sown. They didn't care about the kingdom. They just cared about the benefit, whatever the, the kingdom was providing benefit to them, but, but they didn't love it. In fact, uh, Jesus says that this was Satan, the opposer, the one who opposes. you will know that God's kingdom is doing what it's supposed to be doing when those who oppose the kingdom are being blessed by the kingdom. That's how you know that God's work is taking place. That's how you know that we really are being the church, Mission Ridge, is when the people that oppose us are blessed by us. They receive shade. With many such parables, he is speaking the words to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So a couple of Peshat items, surface level items from, from this particular parable. First of all, God's kingdom is, is counterintuitive. Now, we don't quite catch this uh, when we first read this parable, because we don't quite understand that when Jesus says that uh, a man plants a mustard seed in his garden, we don't understand that you don't do that. <laughs> this is a noxious weed. He's not just, you know, doesn't want to add mustard, a little bit of spice to his life. This is, this is a kind of plant that when you add it to your garden, it takes over the whole garden and nothing else comes out. That's the kingdom. It's counterintuitive. God's going to do things in ways that, that, that don't make sense. And again, when we try to define God in, in a, in simple ways, when he's a complex God, Maybe the things that we think should define God, maybe God doesn't want to live with those limitations. Maybe if we got God so well defined that he's not really a God at all, maybe we've made ourselves God in that moment. Uh, I think about the way I've seen God's kingdom move forward in, in ways that are counterintuitive. Uh, my best friend in college, Bible college, uh, came to Christ by playing Christ. Uh, he, he said yes to playing Christ because he was hungover. <laughs> like, map that out. 
who should we ask to play Jesus? Well, let's go find somebody who's hung over that doesn't actually know Jesus. And we'll invite him in to play the Lord for the most important play, the most important event of our year. Tell me that doesn't sound counterintuitive. Uh, my friend, Pat Lassard, he's a pastor now. Uh, but the first time that uh, he got asked to help within the church uh, was the, the week that he was just starting to pursue recovery from pot. And he shows up and he's wearing a t-shirt and he's uh, wearing uh, jeans and, and he shows up and he thinks that the entire church can tell what kind of a dirty, rotten sinner he was. That was like... That was running through his brain and he comes walking in through the doors and got some guy came up to him and said, Hey, will you hand out communion today? And he's like, don't you see the problems here? God's kingdom is counterintuitive. So often we want people to clean up before they show up. And that's not what God says. God says, show up and we'll figure it out. Show up and we'll figure it out. God's kingdom is counterintuitive. Uh, and then I already mentioned this because I love it. God's kingdom blesses even those who oppose the kingdom. We have to remember this. Uh, as far as it depends on me, I don't have enemies. There's no one that I look at and I go, you know what? That's not my friend. That's not my, they're my enemy. I hate them. I I don't feel like I have the right to identify people as my enemy. Now that doesn't mean that some people and maybe a lot haven't determined that I am their enemy. If I'm going to love the people that Jesus asked me to love, the people that haven't cleaned up yet, the people that don't have it figured out, the people that, whose lives are, are full of brokenness. If I'm going to love them, they can't, I can't define them as an enemy. That can't be my starting point. Jesus wiped all that away. We provide shade to people because of who our God is. Not because of their conduct. Not because of their character. Not because they deserve it. At the Hope Rescue Mission, we, we help people that need help with rent. We help people that need a gas card. We help people that uh, need a place to live. They just, they're homeless. They've been homeless for years. And, and the reality is that the majority of them are exactly where they are because of their choices. Now, now, sometimes people end up homeless because of circumstances beyond anybody's control. Anybody in their situation would end up in the same place, would end up homeless. But a lot of these folks, there's a history of addiction. There's a history of poor choices. There's a history of indebtedness. And we help them because... We are to provide shade, not because they got everything figured out. And that, that check we write is going to make the big difference. That's just more often than not, that's just not the case.
But this is how God's kingdom works. So that's the surface level of this, of this uh, parable. Now, Jesus, uh, leave some hints in this story. Um, he says that mustard seed is, is the smallest of all seeds. That's actually not factual. It's a small seed, but it's not the smallest that they've ever seen. Um, but then he talks about how this small seed becomes this, this thing that provides shade. And so the, he's using this, this comparison, this paradoxical statement to, to catch our attention and it's, what's fascinating is, is Matthew captures the story one way, and then Mark captures it another way. And we should pay attention to those differences. Matthew, Matthew's version, the story connects to Ezekiel 17. And we won't read that today. Um, but what you need to know about Ezekiel 17 is... is uh, most of Israel has been exiled to Babylon. Uh, there's been a remnant that's left behind and, and, and uh, one of the king's sons or cousins, I don't remember which, uh, is put in king's place, made the king by, by Babylon. And he thinks I could defeat Babylon if I go to Egypt. And it never goes well for Israel when they run to Egypt for help. Right, And God says to Israel, that is not going to work. You think you could thwart what I'm doing. I'm using Babylon to, to basically spank you, <laughs> to get your attention, to bring some discipline to your life. And you think you can avoid the discipline. God says, running to Egypt will not save you. And that's the larger conversation of Ezekiel 17. Mark captures, he, 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 he captures Jesus' story a little differently. And, and I believe that Jesus spoke both in, in parts of Israel that were predominantly Jewish, but also parts of Israel that were predominantly Roman. And so Jesus probably shared this parable in a couple of different ways. And Mark captures that very Roman way of uh, that, that, that the story with the, uh, with the Roman flair to it. All right. So um, Mark connects his story to Daniel chapter four. Now Daniel chapter four, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king and uh, he's having some really wild dreams. I don't know if he ate shrooms or what, um, but uh, I got some people out there with, with knowing looks. That's, that's scaring me a little bit. Uh, I'm sure it's the dream part. Yeah, well, dreams. Um, he's having some wild dreams. Uh, he believes that, that, that these, uh, these dreams are are they're inspired. Like they're not just your average, like there's, there's a meaning behind this, that God's trying to communicate something to him. And so he calls on all of his magicians and they're like, dude, can't help. Finally, he calls on Daniel, uh, who he calls Belshazzar. 
and says, hey, you know God, he knows you, help me understand my dream. And so he relays the dreams to Daniel and we jump into verse 19 that says this, then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which the beast of field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. Uh, you know, what's fascinating in both Ezekiel and 17 and Daniel 4 is there's this large tree that's part of the storyline. And God says, I'm going to chop you down. And then later says, I'm going to raise you back up. Huh? One deals with Babylon. The other deals with Israel. It's the same Ramez. It's the same Ramez for two different people groups. Isn't God cool? In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave a stump with its roots in the ground, but with a brand of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation of king. And this is the decree of the most high, which has come upon my Lord, the king that you be driven away from mankind in your dwelling place, be with the beast of the field. You'll be given grassy like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of your tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. 12 months later, while he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Uh, how much learning did he? <laughs> and, and connect this back to the parable of the sower. Was he ready? Did any words of God make any effect in his life at that time? No. You could say that he was hard ground and God's word was, was going out 
is being sowed and is having zero effect. Yet, God's word will not return void without accomplishing what he... Yeah. While the word was in the king's mouth, not, not, not the Lord's word, his own words, his own pride, a voice from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you'll be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like the cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and I love this. I love how he does this. Like he is, he is owning, he is owning this himself. I raise my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me and I bless the most high and praise and honor to him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the heavens of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors, and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished and my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. What a story. This, this is my friend, Jeff Anderson. Like Jeff had, Jeff has three race cars or, or not race cars, um, classic cars that he's built up from the ground since his retirement. So he retired at uh, 57, about 10 years ago now. And uh, his one 1970 Chevy pickup, he's rebuilt that twice. Uh, and he's got two other vehicles that, he, that he's built up. And uh, he's got three boys. And he's like, and this is your inheritance because I'm spending the rest. <laughs> like uh, the, the time before the last time I talked with Jeff where, where he finally started recognizing God as God, Christy and I drove away and going, I don't think he's ever coming to Christ. I've prayed for this man for 20 years. My heart was broken. I thought there's, there's just like, there's, he, he has no hard things happening. Everything is great. And yet he came to recognize the one true God. 
God raises up and brings down kings and kingdoms. Don't be fooled by the current world events. God's kingdom still prevails over all others. And I think, you know, to, to a Roman people that, that, that just dominates the world, and maybe to, to Americans, God's saying, Jesus is saying to us, don't be fooled by the world news of who's who in the zoo, who thinks, you know, they're controlling the narrative, who thinks that they have power. Don't be confused by uh, how, how votes go in November, who controls the House, who controls the Senate, who controls their presidency. Don't be confused that, that God is somehow thwarted by whomever's out there. God's in control. He's always been in control. And, 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 if, and if we've been raised up at all, don't get prideful. And if we've been lowered for a season, don't think that God has left us. Don't think that God can't handle that. Don't think that God forgot what he was doing. Don't think that God can't use a little seed to do an amazing work. I do think that as a church that we are a seed. We have so much potential. You know, you know, that's what a seed is, right? A seed is potential. And you put it in the ground and it's got all this fat energy. <laughs> I'm getting some weird looks. You get this like you get this energy to be able to push things up. Like we have, you know, when I look across the room and see who's here, I know what you're capable of. I know how God can use you. I know that we could disciple people with this crew, which is what we're called to do. And I believe that God's going to use us. I believe that God's going to use us. Mark says to the Romans, God is so sovereign even over Rome. God is sovereign even over the United States of America. I think the drosh is this. In a world where everyone is clamoring for power, living for God's kingdom is true strength. That's true strength. It doesn't matter what your history looked like. It doesn't matter what your past says. It doesn't matter what, how people have labeled you. It matters how you choose to live. If you live for God's kingdom, that's true strength. That's true strength. So I want to bring these uh, parables back together. And just summarize. 
Logan asked this question. How prepared are you for God to work in your life? Because reality is, is you can't really hide that. You think you're hiding that. Like I always, I always pick the weeds at the very front of my house. <laughs> Hoping the neighbors don't see the rest of the weeds, which they're there. There's a lot of them. Uh, you won't be able to hide it. How prepared are you? Secondly, God is the one who causes his kingdom to grow. And you can't stop it. You can't stop it. You're not smart enough. You're not big enough. Uh, your, your, your mistakes, they're not beyond God's realm of recovery. Like, like, like God still has this. He still has us. And God's kingdom blesses even those who oppose the kingdom. And so living for God's kingdom is true strength. Living for God's kingdom is true strength. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana, If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.